Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Innovation and Tech Talks. I'm your host, Joe Topi, Managing Editor of Innovation and Tech Today. Today, we have an amazing episode. We have CEO of Celestron Telescopes, Corey Lee. Celestron is one of the largest manufacturers of telescopes in the world. So, Corey, you know what I'm most interested in speaking with you is you do have a long history in aerospace and um, essentially, you know, so scientific STEM-related career. So I'm interested, what got you to the executive position of a large telescope manufacturer? What in your career got you here? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been uh, with Celestion now for a total of 19 years. Wow. I've, I've always been interested in science and, and when I was growing up. I grew up in Hong Kong, right? But uh, so there's a lot of tall buildings, there's not a lot of skies to look at, but um, um, it's always been interesting to just look up and see what's up, what's up there. So after graduating from, uh, from college, I started working at Celestion as an engineer. Even though I was hired as an engineer, management wanted me to get to know the products really well. So I actually spent about six to eight months just building telescopes, getting to know the, the, the bits and pieces that makes up a telescope really well. Um, after a couple years, I felt like mm, I need to, I need to uh, learn a little bit something else, right? I mean, I needed to learn about the world a little bit more. So I left and worked for an aerospace company, Work, worked there for a few years, but I've never forgotten how much fun I had when I worked in Celestion. Um, so, you know, got to know how to use a telescope, uh, gotten to see views of Andromeda Galaxy. So all that has been ingrained, ingrained in my mind. Um, so one day so at that time, social management call, come calling again, say, hey, do you want to come back? Um, so I decided to come back and, uh, and, and work on telescopes again. And came back, started designing more telescopes. Some of the telescopes I designed at that time still being sold today. Slowly took on more responsibilities. And when the CTO at that time left to start his own company, I started leading the engineering team let the whole development, uh, product development team. And then got more involved with sales and marketing. Got to know the business well enough that when the opportunity comes, you know, I was in a good position to become a Celestron's chief executive. What were some of those early telescopes you were designing? So one that really uh, was really interesting for me, one of the first telescopes that I worked on, it's, it's called Ultima 2000. So it was one of the earlier Celestron computerized telescopes. It still has features, believe it or not, that it's not very common in today's telescopes. So you can use it with your motors. At the same time, you can move it with your hand. You don't, you don't find that a lot in today's telescopes. So, but that was just a very complicated telescope to design and worked on and put together. So Celestron managed to produce a number of those telescopes for maybe a couple of years, but then, um, uh, it was difficult enough that we had to come up with something that's easier to manufacture. So Ultima 2000, though, for anybody who's been uh, involved with telescopes for more than tw 20 years, they would probably remember that name. It's, it's become a bit of a, uh, 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 a, a, a cult um, uh, uh, vision for a telescope. Like the Atari ET game. There you go. <laughs> so um, I'm curious though, why was it so complex to manufacture? What about it as opposed to the, what, what made, was it a new innovative design you guys were trying out? It just wasn't conducive with users or what was the problem? Yeah, part of the problem is you gotta be able to track the sky really well, right? You gotta, you gotta yes. figure out uh, where that tiny object is in the sky with such precision. 
Now, it's easy to do it when easier, I should say easier to do it uh, when you're just relying on what we call an encoder to track where the position of the motors, right? When you just have motors and then having encoders to, 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 actually, uh, to help you track the position of you know, how far, where the motor is at. So that's easier. But when you introduce an element where you can actually move it by hand, all of a sudden you need another element, another piece to track where it's at, aside from the motor. So we need the interaction between different encoders, motors, and to be able to track the hand movement that create a lot of complexity. But when it works, it's great. Now, most of the go-to motors, they're called, is you, you take your telescope, right? You put the finder scope on maybe the North Star, then you turn that go-to motor on it, and then it will then track any object in the night sky. Am I correct with that? That is correct. Um, so what some of the earlier go-to technology that we have developed, you have to align the telescope uh, to the sky, right? Once you do that, uh, pick up a few objects that you know of, uh, teach your telescope you know, what it's pointing at. Eventually, you can find everything up in the sky. Um, with some of the newer technology, you don't even need to do that anymore. A lot of that, it's automated you know, because we incorporate a camera, the cam camera becomes your eye, the oh, computer wow. becomes your brain. So all of a sudden, you can, you, know, you can flip the switch. It, it does all that for you, right? You, know, you just wait five minutes, and then you know, there you go. Punch in Jupiter, you'll find it for you. Well, we have to ask before moving on, are you a backyard scientist? If so, what kind of glass are you looking through every night? <laughs> so I have a couple of little ones, right? So over the past few years, I haven't had as much time to, uh, to, to, to spend in the backyard as much as I like. Um, but what I do have is a couple of telescopes. I have, I personally own a, what we call a uh, Celestial Next Star Evolution with StarSense. So that's a great telescope that, you know, that has the technology that I just talk, talked about, right? You flip the switch, wait about five minutes, it kind of dance around a little bit, figure out where, what it's pointing at, and you'll find the objects for you. So that works really well. Um, and my son is old enough now, I'm starting to you know, expose him to telescopes, he's seven year old now. So um, it's, it's, it's good, it's good. It's starting to uh, uh, have a little fun with the little ones. I have that, and lately um, we have a new telescope that we introduced early in the year, and we have also won some awards with that. It's called StarSense Explorer. Now it's not computerized, so it's not as complicated. Um, you can move it by, with your hand. So how does it know what it's pointing at, right? So what we have introduced was um, the concept of using a smartphone. The smartphone becomes and the cameras on the smart on the smartphone becomes the eye, right? And the and the in the electronics in the smartphone it is the brain. So the camera will be from your phone will be looking up in the sky. You'll be looking at you try to figure out where, where it's pointing at, and with that it knows where it's at constantly, right? It's always looking up. So with that, you can just say, okay, again, I just want to punch in Jupiter. Hey, smartphone, tell me where Jupiter is. And then there will be an arrow. You just follow the arrow eventually. Keep moving it, keep moving it. Once the center, it's there. So between your iPhone and the telescope, boom, you can find anything in the night sky, correct? That is, ab that is absolutely correct. So 
So the interesting part about it is, yeah, I mean, finding objects up in the sky, I mean, we have always had telescope, maybe not always over the past 20 years, there's a lot of telescopes that can offer that uh, functionality. But, uh, but what we've been finding is we wanted to make, if we want to make this hobby more, more accessible, right? We wanted to make sure that people can afford some of the equipments that have that feature. So what we're finding is a lot of people have already invested a lot of money, right? In your smartphone, what you're carrying in your pocket is basically a mini computer and a very good camera. <laughs> yes. So, right. So you spend all that money already. Can we leverage that and you know and, and just put in the function that we that, that a telescope needs to guide you to uh, whatever you want to point at? So. So we created a system with an app and all that. And uh, so all of a sudden you have a telescope that gives you all the, all the functionality without a lot of cost. Yeah, it's almost computerized because you own an iPhone to a certain degree. That's right. You know, the, the other interesting part of this, this is uh, nowadays with our culture, right? especially with the youth, everybody is just, they, they, can't, they can't walk away from your smartphone. Isn't that <laughs> yeah. true? Right. Yeah. So rather than asking them to, hey, just put down your phone, come here and look at a telescope. What we want to tell them is bring your phone, take it to your telescope and use it along with your phone. I, I agree. I think you'd lose them at put your t phone down. If that's what you had to say, they'd be gone right there. <laughs> we'll be back right after the break and a short word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to Residential Tech Talks. Today's episode is brought to you by Sony. Sony's OLED TVs and Master Series meet the strict criteria of the top engineers and makes beautiful images a reality. Their 4K HDR TVs pair the brilliance of 4K with the brightness, color, and detail of high dynamic range. See how every scene comes to life with extraordinary realism. Discover a new level of immersive cinematic audio at home with Dolby Atmos and acoustic surface audio you'll enjoy three-dimensional surround sound that takes your breath away. See everything new from the world of Sony USA, including electronics, the new PlayStation 5, movies, music, and TV shows. Visit www.sony.com to learn more. You know, with this in mind, and thinking about introducing, you know, amateur astronomy and, you know, science and, and exploration in general to children and youth, um, can you explain the difference between a reflecting and refracting telescope to our readers, our, our listeners? Sure, sure. So with a, with a refractor, it's basically um, we're using lenses, right, to focus light. And whereas with a reflector, we're using mirror to focus light. Um, with a refractor, it's easy to use. It's basically, uh, you know, you don't need to worry about uh, the optics being out of alignment. And, but it gets really expensive really quick if you, if you, you, know, you want to buy a bigger telescope. Um, with telescope, a lot of times size is everything. The bigger the telescope, the more light gathering power it has, the more resolving power and the more powerful the tel telescope can become. Um, so once you go beyond um, maybe say four inches with a refractor, um, the expenses start getting getting up there really quickly. With a reflector, you can get bigger telescope and, and it, yeah, it gets more expensive when the telescope gets bigger, but it, it, it's not nearly at the same rate as the refractor. 
you do sacrifice a little bit with some loss of contrast, but, um, but, but the increase in size makes up for it, right? So a lot of these uh, um, big observatories, what you see is um, just basically a combination of both. Huge mirrors, right? And, and meter, uh, diameter mirror in combination with uh, other lenses to correct for optical uh, aberrations. And they're basically a combination of both for uh, type of telescope that you'll find in observatories. With that in mind, where is a good place to start for beginners? Do you think someone just getting into amateur astronomy should jump right into, I guess, a refracting telescope where they're using lens and glass or, or eyeglass, I guess, or the mirror, the reflecting telescope, which is the better choice for the beginner? You know, that's uh, it's, it's almost like uh, Ford and Chevy, Coke <laughs> and Pepsi, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so there is a lot of uh, just personal preference there. So traditionally, what we would say when we are asked that question is, uh, there's this bit of everything for everybody. You know, the first place to go in the past was, would tell everybody is, you know, just check out your local astronomy club. Talk to telescope users and just get to know what a telescope is. But nowadays with almost, you know, just everything being on the internet and this amount of video contents on the internet, you can learn to do almost anything by watching just the right YouTube video, right? Sure, sure, yeah. So what we have tried to do, um, we have tried to uh, put a lot of contents on our website. There's a there's a uh, area on Celestron's website called Tools for Beginners. You can find information on how to use the telescopes as well as how to buy your first telescopes as well as links to, uh, uh, to how to choose eyepieces, how to use filters, what is a finder scope. So I would start there. That would be a good place to start. And of course, any other content that you, um, that you may be able to find on, uh, on the internet. Well, research, of course, is always a good place to start, right? And of sure. course, you know, I, I agree, having had some experience in my life with telescopes and you know, I've even owned a couple Celestron reflecting telescopes in my life. It is something like, um, you know, it's, 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 your, it's your own palette, whatever, you know what I mean? It can be anything, any assortment of, of I guess, um, eyewear. Some people like Barlow lens, some people do not. Um, but, you know, having said all that in the, in the beginning part, where can the hobby take you? So what is the, I guess, the apex of the Celestron computerized telescope? What do they look like? What is the, I guess, the creme de la creme of the backyard scientist using? So there's... There's a lot of things you can do with a telescope, right? With a computerized telescope, there, there's, so you can certainly just take it out to your backyard and observe. Or just have a little fun with, with, with your family. That's always a good thing, right? Um, now, serious astronomers, ser I should say serious astrophotographers, they can easily take out products. They, you know, it takes a little bit of a, uh, figuring out what to do, astrophotography. But I mean, once you can also take breathtaking photos of planets and galaxies, even in your backyard, if you have the right filters in place. Now, so that's another thing you can do, right? And also in addition to that, we have seen some of our uh, users of our telescopes using our telescope to discover and confirming discovery of asteroids. Sure, sure. So that's, that's an interesting, I mean, in a way, um, kind of like citizen science that you can do even with the consumer telescope. Um, well said. Lastly, and I think there's one thing that maybe is not quite, uh, maybe it's not, maybe not a lot of people know about it or think about it as much is 
there's a lot of there's a lot of man-made objects now up in the sky. There's a lot of satellites up there. Um, you know, I'm sure we have all seen a lot of us have seen the movie Gravity, right? So, so if a satellite breaks up, it creates a bunch of debris, debris, and all these debris becomes even very tiny ones can hit other satellites and destroy other satellites. And all of a sudden, you have these multi-million, billion, billion uh, uh, satellites getting destroyed, cre uh, creating problems for communications. So there is actually a, you know, a lot of people who are paying a lot of attention to preserve um, and make sure that that doesn't happen. So how do they do that? There's nothing you can do to avoid that a lot of times, but you can just, what you can do is you can observe and track all these satellites and make sure that they don't run into another. Given enough time, there is some maneuverability with these satellites to, to avoid all the, all, all the tragedy, right? So how do you do that? You use a bunch of telescopes. It turns out that uh, our telescopes are good for that too. So there's another activities that you that you can do with with our equipment. Yeah, I I I am very aware of that. I know that um, I guess citizen scientists, as you put it, I like that phrase. Um, if you think about it, anybody seeking the truth is a scientist at heart, right? Yeah. And I I am very aware that there are a great deal of backyard scientists responsible for some of the largest discoveries in astronomy, like the Shoemaker Comets. Remember those? Was that the 90s and they hit Jupiter? Was that the Shoemaker Comets? Right, right, yeah, right. The That's Shoemakers right. were a couple, were they not just looking out of their telescopes, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken? And um, the yeah. comets, were, or not the comets, or whatever they were, meteors that hit Jupiter, um, were named after them, right? That's right. You got broken up and then big pieces hit Jupiter and left a scar for, for quite a bit of time. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of that, just the reinvigoration of sp science and, and space exploration. Um, what can what can folks do to include, I guess, amateur astronomy into the school curriculum to make this more part of the STEM education in class? I understand kids aren't going to school at night. Um, having said that, I mean, it seems like a big part of the day, right? Or one right. half of it, a big part of science. I would like to see that more in education. What what can folks like you do to make that happen? Right. So um, it's, that's a, actually a very interesting question. It's something that we have always looked at, uh, for, we looked at for the longest time, right? So uh, it's got some challenges. As, you know, school funding is always an issue. And just like you said, astronomy requires some time at night, and school is mostly taught in the morning, but it's entirely possible. I mean, I think the first thing we got to do is raise interest in science and space again. We're very happy to see, you know, a lot of the uh, 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 bigger companies in, pri in the private sector, like SpaceX and Blue Origin, sure. doing some really in interesting, exciting things. We, you know, we're happy to see that there's renewed interest in it. So we need to get more teachers and kids interested in a topic, right? And the next thing we can do is we have to make the hobby less intimidating. I've gone to teachers' conference. I've had teachers come up to me and ask for help. They said, boy, I really want to show our kids um, astronomy. But the teachers themselves, they are intimidated. They didn't know exactly what to do. Then they tell me that they have a limited budget for school. That's a big reason why is our goal to create tools, telescopes that are easier to use and to make the hobby easier, accessible while creating content, video, blogs, you know, just information, right? To take away the intimidation factor. 
Um, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. <laughs> okay, no, you go ahead. Go finish your thought, please. Okay, cool. Just looking in the future, I think a, as more automation and computer control becomes accessible for telescope use and more access, accessible, you know, you, it can become very possible to see what we are, you know, that, that we are sitting, let's just say in a classroom here in California, while controlling and viewing through a telescope in Australia. You know, that can happen right now, but as equipments become easier to use and more accessible, more affordable, that may become more and more, um, you may see that more and more. Yeah, I guess the more, um, I guess, astronomy, uh, space exploration becomes commonplace in the marketplace, the more it'll become less intimidating to educational curriculums and teachers. And you touched on something a few moments ago that I definitely wanted to ask you about. And all the things going on right now in this in the new renewed space race or whatever's going on, you have collaborations with Boeing, SpaceX, and NASA. They're taking us back to the moon and on to Mars. And you know, so I'm wondering how that impacts your industry and at the same time your ability to impact youth. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. I, I, it's awesome, right? It's a great thing. I mean, I, and I have friends who we have never had discussed telescopes you know, before. Now they're talking about the SpaceX launches, you know, basically viewing it along with the kids yeah. and also talking about the crew dragon docking with the International Space Station. And I, I watched that a lot with my seven-year-old um, earlier in the year too. I believe it's within human nature to just be curious about the surroundings. Now, once we learn to let go of the everyday distractions and not be constantly checking for the next message I'm getting on my phone, right? <laughs> then you, you can, you, you, you pay more attention to your surroundings. You look up. Everybody wants to know what is, what is that bright spot up there in the sky, right? What is that smudge that I'm barely seeing? Um, having the likes of NASA, Boeing, SpaceX, just bring that conversation back it can only help. It can only help to have more people interested in space and, and science. Now, of course, our company is going to benefit from that. Yeah, our industry should benefit from that. But ultimately, I think the focus on science and space should lead to a technology that helps to solve problems and just make our, our lives better. Sure. Sure. As, as we just saying earlier, science is always the pursuit of truth, whatever that truth is, whether it's in health or space exploration or anything. But, you know, as we sit here and talk about the market today and SpaceX and this reinvigoration of, you know, exploration, I think about what it must have been like for many in the late 60s and 70s, or maybe all, all, all the way back to the late 50s um, with uh, Rod Serling's uh, um, Twilight Zone and then, of course, Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek and all of the Apollo missions, what that must have been like for parents on Christmas Day and birthdays with all of those space toys, you know, under the Christmas tree and a birthday. And I'm wondering, are we gonna see that? And now with all of the smart technologies and the way, as you were saying earlier, folks can understand to use telescopes so easily, they don't even need a manual. They can watch someone build it and show you how to use it on, on YouTube. I'm just wondering if we're gonna see the same market splash um, or, or they're gonna be telescopes and crew dragons under Christmas trees. Right, right. Actually, it's very interesting. I mean, I was thinking about it earlier today. In the 60s, the space race is really has been driving the interest, right? I mean, 
personally, it's interesting that uh, my brother, who was born in 1969, his name, my parents gave, gave him a name that is, it's, it's a Chinese translation of Neil Armstrong. So, wow. Right. Wow. So, so that just shows the reach of, uh, uh, um, uh, of the space race and also Apollo landing. Um, but I think what we're witnessing now is a new interest in space to a level that we haven't seen before since the late 60s, right? So you know, all the, the talks about going to Mars and it's getting people excited. So I'm, I, I think that's, that can only help. That can only help in the interest in space. Well, I'm curious about this too, as you continue to build telescopes and technology evolves, what is the, what does the future of backyard science look like? I mean, as, as the things you're talking about now seem so revolutionary as opposed to when I was first getting into the hobby in the 1990s, where essentially, you know, the lucky guys had go-to motors and everybody else was lugging them around and, you know, using star charts or whatever. What does the backyard scientist of the future have? What does his apparatus look like? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I, of course, can I give you all the secrets that we're working on, right? But... <laughs> give us some, just a few. <laughs> yeah, sure, of course, of course. Um, so through software electronics, I, mean, I don't think there's any secret there. We want to continue to make uh, 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 products more, the hobby more accessible, right? So we have successfully created products that are easy to use so you can find and see objects that aren't easily seen without, without some help. Now, however, however in, the, in the age of uh, Instagram, right? Everybody wants to share a picture of what they saw last night. Sure. Well, astrophotography is getting much easier now with cameras um, becoming more sensitive, computing power getting less expensive. It's generally still a lot of work to spend hours taking an image of a faint galaxy and then just to spend more hours to process the image. I think we can, we, I think we can expect more and more energy being put into making astrophotography easy and easier, right? So with that said, and it opens up more possibilities. I mean, so I mentioned before, sky, sky surveillance. I mean, that requires taking astro photos, right? And comparing what you took last, last night with what you're taking tonight. Imagine thousands of telescopes all over the world pointing up at the sky, just you know, tracking satellites and make, just helping to make sure that you know, the, a debris won't be destroying the next multi-billion dollar telescope that will knock out our communications uh, uh, network. So that potentially can be some of the uh, results of um, what we're working on. But, so, sorry. The, uh, oh, no, you go ahead, finish your thought again, I'm sorry. No, I mean, so, so basically, I think what we focus on, we just really want to make things easier for, for people interested in space. Now, we made the product easier to use. We also want to make it easier for, for people to create memories by, by taking photos, make that, take all the, all the intimidation factor and all the work out of the way so they can just enjoy it, enjoy the hobby. So at the same time, you're trying to make it easier for folks to get a hold of telescopes easy to easier to use the telescopes and it also sounded like you're creating this citizen army on the lookout for falling satellites rogue meteors the whole kit and caboodle am i wrong so what we can do is we recognize there's a need for that so what we can do is we can do what we can do best which is to create the tools for people to use 
and we'll do everything we can to encourage people to get into the hobby. Uh, so, but yes, we want, that's, that's what we're pushing for. We want to be able to support it through what we do best. Well, Corey, I really do appreciate your time today talking with us. It was a good conversation. Um, I hope you will see our end of the year issue. Um, where we talk a lot about Celestron telescopes and some other nighttime fun. And um, I just appreciate you taking time and talking with us today. Thank you for having me, Joe. Thank you.